If you have your Bibles tonight, would you open them please to the book of Hebrews, specifically Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31. We're going to read a verse of Scripture there, then we'll be moving back into the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 2. But for our Scripture reading, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 31, our sermon series on Sunday night is entitled, Women of Faith. And we're looking at women, perhaps very insignificant to you and I as we read the Scriptures, but very significant to God, because they displayed a faith that was unusual. They displayed a faith that allowed the Lord to cast a demon out of a girl. They displayed a faith that allowed a woman who was chronically, seriously sick for many, many years to find healing. They displayed a faith that allowed a boy that was dead to come back to life. That's transforming faith. A faith that can do the impossible. Never forget, faith plus the power of God equals a miracle. It is faith that pulls the trigger on the power of God and sends it forward that a miracles can occur. Tonight, a prostitute's faith, a harlot's faith. Hebrews 11, verse 31. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not, when she received the spies with peace. In Hebrews chapter 11, Rahab is mentioned as being a member of God's hall of fame. There's a baseball hall of fame in New York, Cooperstown. There's a football hall of fame in Ohio, Canton. There's a rock and roll hall of fame in Cleveland, Ohio. If we have hall of fames on earth to recognize people of extraordinary ability in their field, do you not think God has a hall of fame in heaven? To recognize saints who showed a remarkable amount of faith down here. I believe he does, and Rahab is in it. Rahab, that shady lady from Jericho, who was saved and changed by the power of God himself. Did you catch what I said? Saved and changed by the power of God himself. If you claim to have God's salvation, you'll have God's change. If God's salvation hasn't changed you, you better change your salvation. Because when He saves you, you become a new person, a new creation. The old life will fade away, and a new life is born, and a new life begins. And Rahab experiences this transformation, as we're going to see tonight. 
And may I say it came at the right time, just at the right time, because she was in a desperate situation. She was a pagan, and she was far from the God of the Bible. She was a harlot, and she was deep in the well of sin. And as a citizen of Jericho, she was going to die very soon. Because God had given the city of Jericho and all that was within it to Joshua and the army of Israel. And the command was very simple. When the walls of Jericho come down, slaughter all of those inside. She was going to die. She didn't know it. We don't know it either, do we? We're all but a step away from death. The next funeral we go to may not be Mr. Mel's. It might be ours. So this lady is, she's in a desperate situation. She's a pagan. She's a harlot. She's a citizen of Jericho. She's facing death. Yet in what happens is really a miracle of miracles. God shows up. And with this transformation power I talked to you about, he takes her from vice to virtue, from death to life, from being a prostitute of men to being a child of God, from being an outcast from Jesus to becoming an ancestor of Jesus. Do you know she would become the great-great-grandmother of David himself? She's about to go from the hall of shame to the hall of fame. Three things I want us to see tonight about the life of Rahab, a life of faith. You have your Bibles, turn back, please, to Joshua and the second chapter. This is the story of Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. Remember, Jericho was a fortress city, it was manned by pagans idol worshipers, practicers of immoral sex. That's why when God gave the order that these walls were going to fall, He wanted all the inhabitants slain. You say, that's being cruel. No, God's protecting His people from bringing demonic worship into their worship and bringing their sexual immorality and sexual diseases into His people. When God gives rules, He gives rules to protect us. Do you understand that? Not to harm us, but to prevent us from being harmed. But notice as we look at verse 1, a visitation is going to occur to Rahab. Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out two men to spy secretly in Jericho. He said to them, Go view the land that is made up of, that that surrounds Jericho. And they went. And they came into a harlot's house named Rahab. And they stayed there. They lodged there. Now I hope when you read the Bible, you got your thinking cap on. I think when I read, I don't have as much to think with as I thought I had years ago. But I still got something up here. 
An old fellow told me years ago, he said, Pastor, I'm not worth the dollar anymore, but I still got some change left in me. Well, I still got some change left up there. And with that change, I think a little bit. And I got to thinking about verse 1. Now think with me just a moment. Joshua commissions two spies to go into the city of Jericho and scout it out. He wants them to look over the opposition. Look over the opposition and bring me back a report on their military preparedness. He also says, I want you to observe the obstacles. Not just look over the opposition, but I want you to observe the obstacles. Is there anything that we need to be concerned about when we take this city? Go and bring me back a report. Now, these two spies disguise themselves as travelers. They enter the city of Jericho. And the Bible says that they go straight to the home of Rahab. Now, does that strike you odd? They haven't been there before. And yet as soon as they arrive, they enter the city of Jericho and they go to the house of Rahab and there they spend several nights lodging with her while they're gathering their information. Does that strike you as odd? I mean, listen, these spies have never seen Rahab. They've never heard of Rahab, I don't think. How did they know who she was? Also, how did they know where she lived? I mean, you're talking about a city. Go find Pastor Jim. Well, who is Pastor Jim? I don't know. Go find him. Go to his house. Well, where does he live? I don't know. He lives somewhere in Somerville. If somebody told you to do that, you'd think they're crazy. These two spies... They enter the city of Jericho. They're led to go to Rahab's house, though they don't know who she is. They know nothing about her. They knock on the door. They enter into her house, a house that they didn't know the address of. And there they make themselves at home for several days. Now, that brings us to a couple of questions. Can you help me with this? How did they know who Rahab was? How did they know where she lived? How did they know she would receive them and not turn them in as being spies and have them executed? I know, Pastor, good luck. I know, Pastor, it was by chance. Their horoscope said that was going to (laughs) happen. No, it was coincidental, Pastor. You know, things happen just coincidentally. This was just all coincidence. Happenstance, Pastor. No, that's not any of the reasons. It wasn't luck, it wasn't chance, it wasn't coincidence, it wasn't happenstance. It was the leadership of the Spirit of the living God on these two men. The sovereignty and leadership of God Himself speaks into the mind of the two spies leads these two spies into the city, leads them to a woman they don't know, leads them to a house that they do not know the address of. 
The unseen hand of God is on these two men. It's called divine providence. And God is involved in the lives of his people. Are you listening to me? God is involved in the lives of his people. There's no such thing as luck, chance, coincidence, or happenstance. God's hand is on our lives, and he's moving, and he's directing us sovereignly, whether we understand it or not, or even know it or not, that we will cross paths with people. We will be in certain places at certain times to do certain things that he wants accomplished in this life of ours and the life of others. So these two spies under the leadership of the Lord go to Rahab. They go to Rahab's house and they stay there. Why Rahab? I mean, Pastor, she's a prostitute. She's a harlot. Doesn't God know that? I'm sure he does. But you know something? God doesn't look at the outward. He looks at the inward. And though Rahab was a wicked woman by every standard or estimation that you and I would have, God saw something in her heart. A wicked woman on the outside, but somewhere in that heart of hearts was a place of righteousness. She longed to know God. Though she was sleeping with men, though she was selling her body, there was something in her that wanted to know God. You can't always judge things by their cover. Though she's in bondage to Satan, she wants to know the freedom of God. The God of the Bible, she wants to know Him. She wants to be set free, but she doesn't know how. So God directs these two spies not to do a military evaluation so much, not to look at the obstacles that they might face so much, but he sends these two spies to her. That they will have an opportunity to share some things with her. To change her life. Never forget this. When there's a sinner looking for Jesus, God will send a person to tell him about Jesus. When God sees that somebody's looking, God will send somebody. You will find him when you seek him with all of your heart. You may not know where to go. You may not know what to do. You may not understand it all. But if you long to know him, you'll know him. He'll make sure of it. He's a God of revelation. We know as much about Jesus as we want to know, ladies and gentlemen. Because if you have a mind and a heart that's hungry to know Him and to make Him known, He will fill you and He will use you. The Ethiopian eunuch was looking for God. He had went to the city of God, Jerusalem, and couldn't find Him. 
He'd been to some churches in Jerusalem and couldn't find him. And quite frankly, you could visit a lot of churches around here and not find him. But he was looking and God sent Philip conducting one of the great revivals found in the Word of God. God sent Philip from conducting great revivals to the desert to bring this Ethiopian eunuch to himself. Cornelius the Roman, he was looking for God. And God sent Peter to him. That's funny, isn't it? A Gentile, and God sends a Jew. And a biased one at that, Peter. Peter was prejudiced. He didn't want nothing to do with the Gentiles. God does have a sense of humor. You go. You tell him about the Lord. But he's a Gentile. I don't care. You go tell him. Blah, 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 blah. Go tell him. A Samaritan woman was at a well. And Jesus said, I have a need to go through Samaria. Master, are you crazy? Nobody goes through Samaria. It's the armpit of Israel. It's nasty. Nobody goes through there. A bunch of half-breed people live there. They're idol worshipers. They're immoral. They're unjust. Lord, not only that, it's taken the long way around. Let's take the shortcut, Lord. We don't need to do this. And Jesus said, be quiet. Follow me. I have a need to go through Samaria. What was the need? He needed to see this woman. You see, she was looking for God too. And ladies and gentlemen, may I suggest to you, there is people in the Tri-County area who are looking for God as well. There's Corneliuses in our area. There's Ethiopian eunuchs in our area. There's Samaritan women in our area. They're looking for God. And God is looking for somebody to go to them and tell them about Jesus. Those two spies, they think they're going to Jericho for another reason, to obey Joshua. They're going to Jericho because somebody higher than Joshua is ordering them to go and directing their mission. What does it take to be sent by God to somebody? I mean, what did these two spies have that maybe we think we don't have. May I suggest to you God needs three things out of somebody to use them. Number one, availability. Lord, here am I. I make myself available. Not ability, availability. Thirdly, sensitivity. Lord, I'm willing to go. I don't know where you're leading me. I don't know who I'm going to meet when I get there. I don't know exactly what I'm supposed to do. But, Lord, I understand I will follow your leadership. I'm available. I will trust you. I will obey you. Understand you. No, but that's what I'll do. And then love. Availability, sensitivity, and love. Love covers a multitude of ignorance. If you love people, you can make every mistake in the book. 
and God can still use you to reach them. Sad to say that the church sometimes doesn't have a lot of love. I've always said, if you and I in the church that we call Miles Road could have a double-edged sword, on one side of that sword would be the truth of God's Word. You've got to have truth. But on the other side of that sword would be love. And if we would learn how to use truth and love equally efficiently, we could turn this world upside down for Jesus, just like the first church did. Love people, tell them the truth. Tell them the truth and love people. That's the secret. But let's move on. We see the visitation that takes place. I also want you now to see the convicting power of this transformation that's about to unfold. Look at verse 9 through 11. And Rahab said to the two spies, I know that the Lord has given you the land, and that your terror has fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you. We've heard that. When you came out of Egypt, and what you did unto the two kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. As soon as we heard those things, our hearts began to melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man, because you, because of you, for the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. All right, we got a question again now. The Bible says, Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Salvation must have the truth of God's word, the gospel, somehow in it. That the transforming power of God can save somebody. Now the question I ask you is this. Simple question. I know you're, you're going to figure it out. How could rehab, 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 <laughs> she, she's, got, she's a rehab project, that's for sure. How could Rahab be convicted of sin without a sermon? Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Certainly Billy Graham had to come preach. But there's no preacher. There's no sermon. And yet somehow she's convicted of her sin and convinced that she needs the God of heaven, whoever he is, to come into her life. How did she come about that conclusion? May I suggest to you, she did hear the truth of God's word. But she didn't hear it through a sermon. She heard it through a testimony. If you notice in the verses we just read, she said, we heard. We've heard from testimonies given how you opened the Red Sea 
and your children, the children of Israel, the people of God, marched dry-shod across that mighty sea. And we heard about how you took on two great kings and their armies, and you utterly defeated them. We've heard about the exploits of this God that you serve. How He is Yahweh, all-powerful. How He is a God of promise, Elohim. And how He keeps His promises to you. And we're afraid of Him. And I want to know Him. I want to know this God that makes promises and fulfills them. That has power and displays it that punishes those who do not walk with Him. What I'm trying to get you to see, ladies and gentlemen, is that truth doesn't always have to come from a sermon. May I suggest to you, your ministers too. May I suggest to you, all of us are preachers. I'm a pastor, but we're all preachers. And we're preaching every single day of our life. We're preaching sometimes by opening up the book and preaching out of the Bible. That's on Sunday. But Monday through Saturday, we're preaching with our testimonies. As we go about this world and tell people what Jesus means to us and what He's done for us. You see, men can argue preaching, but they can't argue testimonies. You can, get, you can fuss with me and argue with me about how I preach. That's fine. But you can't argue my testimony because it's personal to me and I know what happened. And I can't argue your testimony. Rahab was convicted of her sin. She was convinced that the God of heaven is who she wanted in her life. Not because Billy Graham came and preached, but because the testimony of people just like us convinced her of that, convicted her of that. Wow. You mean a testimony can do that? Absolutely. I preach on Sunday. You preach Monday through Saturday. Who's most effective? I hope we both are. Your testimony can convince people they need Jesus and can convict people of their sin, just like my preaching can. You know, one of the things I enjoy reading, people say, Pastor, what do you like to read? I like to read stories about people's lives. Much of it you hear in sermons when I preach them. I like stories with happy endings. I like stories of how somebody lost and on their way to a devil's hell was found and came to Jesus. I like stories like that. But do you know in many of the stories I read about these people's lives that were dramatically saved and changed by the power of God, do you understand that it wasn't because some preacher led them to Jesus? It's because people just like you and me, common, ordinary people, told them a testimony that they never forgot. And that testimony convicted them of their sin. That testimony convinced them they needed Jesus. 
Rick Stanley, the stepbrother of Elvis Presley, who wrote the book A Touch of Two Kings, Life with Elvis and Life with Jesus. You know how he came to know the Lord? Because his girlfriend, named Robin, Robin Moyer, shared her testimony with him. And he never could get it out of his mind and heart. He thought there was peace and joy with Elvis. You can't find peace and joy with anybody. But yet she had peace and joy and it came from Jesus. And because of her testimony, God used that to bring Rick Stanley to Jesus. Bill Bachman, who was my mentor, wrote the book Second Marriage, Same Wife. Bill's in heaven now. But you know, it was Bill's testimony. After his divorce to his, with his wife, Julie, Bill met Jesus. It was Bill's testimony of what Jesus did in his life after his divorce from Julie that Julie says brought her to Jesus. You see, Bill knew he was lost, Julie didn't. And when Bill told his story to his ex-wife and wanted him, her, them to remarry and start over again, that testimony would lead Julie to Christ. Pee Wee Gaskins, you remember that name? He's notorious. He was a killer. Slayed many men, probably slayed much more than was ever found. You know he was led to the Lord Jesus Christ by a man by the name of Zeb Osborne who I brought to this church 25 years ago. He, we had heard preachers before. He had read tracts before. But when Zeb Osborne shared his testimony on death row with Pee Wee Gaskins, Pee Wee gave his life to Jesus. You see, it doesn't take preaching, although God uses preaching. It just takes you and I willing to tell others what Jesus has done for us. They can't argue it. And sometimes it will find a sticking place right there. And they'll never forget it, and one day God will use it to transform their life. That's what he did with Rahab. Those two spies just came and said, Amen! To what she had already been told by other people coming through the city. You say, but pastor, I don't have that kind of testimony. Yes, you do. What's Jesus done for you right now? If you don't have a testimony, you don't have a salvation. What's he done for you? And how do you show that? Do you repay good for evil? Are you silent among gossips? Do you... Try to be positive instead of negative. You see, these things get noticed. You may not think so. You may not think anybody ever watches what you do. I promise you, there's a lot of eyes on us. And those eyes are evaluating our testimony in our life. What we did with Jesus is what others want to do if they just knew. And then lastly, we close... Not just with the visitation, not just with the conviction, 
but with the transformation. Look at verses 12 and 13. Now therefore I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that you will also show kindness unto my Father's house and give me a true token of this agreement. That you will save, that you will save alive my father and my mother and my brethren and my sisters and all they that I, all that I have and deliver our lives from death. She's saying, I want to ask a favor of you. I know what you're going to do when you come. You're going to slaughter every man, woman, boy, and girl in this city. I'm asking you because of my kindness of allowing you to come in my home and feeding you and sheltering you and giving you a place to do the mission that Joshua sent you on. I want you to make a promise to me that you won't hurt my family. That every one of them will live. Will you give me your word? Now I want you to notice the rest of it in verse 18 through 21. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window. This is the spies, the two men that she was kind to. They're answering her now. Behold, when we come into the land, thou shalt bind this line of scarlet thread in the window, which you let us down by, and bring thy father and thy mother and thy brethren and all thy father's household home unto the youth. And it shall be that whosoever shall go out of the doors of thy house into the street, his blood shall be upon his head, and we will not be at blame. Whosoever shall be with you in your house, his blood shall be on our head, if any hand be upon him. And if thou utter this our business, then we will quit of thy oath which is made with us to swear. And she said, according to your words, it will be. Notice that. According to what you said, that's the way it will be. And she sent them away. They departed, and she bound the scarlet line in her window. Now, don't miss this scarlet thread. Because this is really the key to the whole transformation. The spies say to Rahab, you want us to save your family. You want us to save you. Then you better do this, and listen carefully, Rahab. Don't let your family go outside your house. If they go outside your house, they will be slain. And we will not be responsible for them. You keep them in your house. As long as they're in your house and the scarlet thread is hanging from the window of your house, they will be protected and they will live. If they come outside the house, outside the, the boundaries of the scarlet line, they will die. And she said, what? According to your word, I will do it. God is extending to her grace through the scarlet line. She is going to receive that grace by faith. And what the spies, speaking on behalf of the Lord, have said to her. And it's going to be evidenced by the fact that she will do exactly what they said. Grace, faith, and works. 
Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8, 9, and 10. For by grace you are saved through faith unto good works. You see how simple this is? How was grace extended? We're going to save you and your family, and it will be by a scarlet line that will hang out your window. I wonder why it was scarlet. Any idea? Why not blue? Why not green? Because without the shedding of blood. What color is blood? Red, scarlet, crimson. There's no forgiveness of sin. That scarlet line that hung out her window was symbolic of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. See, the blood of Christ is in every book of the Bible. Now, she didn't understand the theology of all this. All she knew is what they told her to do. But this was God extending grace to her through a scarlet line. And then she expressed her faith, her belief in that. She said, so be it. I will put the line outside, and I will keep my family on the inside. Though the city is falling apart, though people are being slain all around us, we will stay in the house and trust that you will keep your word and protect us, and the scarlet line will be the grace, and we will provide the faith by doing what you say. And then she did it. The whole city fell down. <laughs> now, I don't know this for a fact, but I'd like to think her apartment building was the only thing standing up. Look like a barn silo and everything else is flat. And there's that line hanging out. The armies of Israel killed every single person in Jericho but her and her family. Her obedience was outward and open. She put the scarlet line outside so everybody could see. By grace, through faith, unto good works. That's the way God saved people then. That's the way God saves people today. Wow. Great story, Pastor. That I came. But I'm not a harlot. I have morals and manners, Pastor. I'm not a bad person. <laughs> you know what the worst form of badness is? Goodness that tries to replace Jesus Christ. The hardest people to save are people who think that they're so right with God they don't need a Savior. An evangelist of old said it's easier to bring a drunk in the gutter to Jesus than it is a self-righteous person sitting in a church pew. Because some of us might think, because we're good people and we don't cuss and fuss and boogie all night long, we're okay. And we're not. The worst sin is try to replace human goodness 
the shed blood of Jesus Christ. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto them which are saved, it is the power of God. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed.